Hi, and welcome to Flipping the Field, the college football podcast about all of college football, brought to you by Raytheon. Yep. I'm Ryan Donnelly. My co-host is Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, what are we doing today? We're going to talk about Gus Malzahn. We're going to talk about the G5, and um, more specifically, we're going to talk about retread hires in the G5, which um, I think we define this as that, right? I mean, he's fresh off an SEC job. I would imagine that that's about as retread as it gets. Yeah, yeah. We want to talk about coaches at the G5 level um, who have been brought into their program after... Um, in maybe harsh terms, failing at a Power 5 job, being yeah. fired for performance in the field, um, and kind of what that looks like when they do go down to a lower level to try to revive their careers, or in some cases, to kind of ride out retirement. Yeah, and, and Ryan has put together a novel on this stuff, and I'm, I'm <laughs> going gonna, gonna to refute a couple of these that we mentioned, but we're going to talk about sort of the history of this, the recent history of, of G5 retreads, some of the better G5 programs. Um and so I, I think that the uh, the thing to note here before we we get into this because we're going to jump right in we're not gonna we're not gonna waste time we got a lot to talk about um, but something to note is that sort of I, I think that there's a, a way to uh, to view this on on sort of a spectrum right where there's there's the retread hires but not all retread hires are built the same you know it's it hiring sure. hiring John L Smith and hiring Gus Malzahn are different things I think um, you know and and so. I uh, times when I when I will bounce in. I think it's sort of to uh, to talk about that spectrum a little bit. But what w- what do you have for us here? Right. So um, just a quick introduction to this. Um, we're going to take a few minutes right at the top of the show to contextualize the Melzon hire to UCF, and we assume most of our audience is just as much of inside baseball, college football fans as we are. If um, you're not, you're probably not. In the right place. I Probably not. Probably yeah. not the show for you, but just for context, uh, Gus Melzahn, the uh, former longtime Auburn coach, uh, has been hired by UCF as their new head coach, um, replacing Josh Heupel, who moved to Tennessee. Um, but anyway, what we're going to do here at the start is we're going to run through a, a quick list of Power 5 coaches who have moved down to the G5 level to coach a program. Um, I looked at those hires since the year 2000, um, so just the recent history of kind of what that looks like. And I'm going to run through a few of them for you guys real quick. Um, the first names on these lists, the first schools we're going to talk about, I would say are schools that are not quite on the same level of program as what we come to see from UCF. Yeah. Um, these are not going to be um, your Cincinnati's, your Memphis's, your Houston's, but we are going to talk about those programs uh, after we run through this quick list. Yeah. So uh, without taking too much time, uh, let's get to it, Pat. Yep. Okay. So the first school I have here is Akron. Um, I know we just talked about Terry Battle last episode. <laughs> I spent a lot of time uh, making fun of our portly friend, Terry. Um, you know, in the MAC, the arguably easiest conference in all of FBS football, uh, he won just barely 40% of his games. He made one conference title game in seven years as a head coach. Uh, he came to Akron after failing at Auburn and then uh, moving down to the D2 level with North Alabama yeah. and also spending 10 years on uh, radio and TV calling his father daddy mm-hmm. for a living. As grown men do, yeah, famously. Right, as one does. <laughs> um, Go ahead. I, I want to ask quickly because you mentioned here that the MAC you described it as the easiest conference. What do you mean by that? I think it's the easiest conference to win football games in, in the FBS. Okay, like quickly. Is that is that what you mean? Yeah, I think there's very little, for the, for the large part, let's talk about like Toledo, there's very little talent difference between programs. Okay. Um, and I think a good coach who has a schematic advantage or is a great recruiter can okay. quickly win a lot of games. That makes sense because I, I I would uh, I've frequently seen 
jobs like Akron, jobs like uh, Eastern Michigan comes to mind. As, oh, they're difficult. Difficult yeah. jobs, but so you're saying if you're good, then you can win quickly yes. more so than you can in the SEC. Yeah, you are never going to, unless you're, the, the rare occasions we've seen from uh, Western Michigan with Flack or Northern Illinois under, yeah. I believe that was Rod Carey, um, when those teams have put together 11, 12 win seasons. I see. You'll see that happen, but by and large, uh, most of the conference sucks. I see. An example that makes sense for this, at least to my brain, is Matt Campbell, right? Where he, he yes. wins pretty quickly at Toledo, and then it takes five or six years at Iowa State to get mm-hmm. to the place where he sort of was Or at to go back even further, uh, how about our favorite guy, Urban Meyer at Bowling yeah. Green? Yeah, famously our favorite guy, yes. Our guy, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, just next on the list here is a quick one. It's Arkansas State. Um, they just hired Butch Jones, former Tennessee. A hire that I like, yeah. Yeah, but well, obviously we have not seen him coach a game yet, so we have nothing to talk about here yet. Um, Central Michigan, uh, I, I would say it's too early to call on former Florida coach Jim McElwain. Mm-hmm. He's been the last two years uh, up there at Central Michigan. Uh, so far he's 11-9 and with a division title in his first two seasons, but he just went 3-3 three and three in 2020. Um, again, we don't think it's a difficult conference to win in, so I, I don't know how much an 8-6 and six season in Central Michigan does for me. Yeah, uh, We'll see on Jim McElwain. I'm curious on that one because unlike um... – you know, a lot of these other coaches on the list, he was very, very recently a G5 coach. I mean, mm-hmm. he was he was at Florida, but before that, he was at Colorado State. He was very good at Colorado State. Um, and it wasn't three decades ago. Like it, like it has been, you know, with some of these guys where they start off at the FCS or G5 level, make it up to the P5, and then 20 years later, they're back at the G5 level. He was just there. Right, and he may even fall into that category we're going to talk about later on of kind of weird exceptions to why you're being fired with his tip with the boosters and the... Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the, the shark picture, mail, the yeah. shark mail, very bizarre story. <laughs> but let's not let's not get too far into the weeds on that. That's another another day. Yeah. Um. So next we have Colorado State. Uh, they hired former Boston College coach Steve Adazio, uh, famously known for uh, what's better than this? Just yeah. guys being dudes. Um. He is uh one and three in his first season so far, and I don't think either of us expect him no. to do much better than that. Uh. No. He is basically a rehabilitation program for uh, Urban Meyer's friends to get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, so cool for him on that. Great job. Um, uh, let's talk about UConn. Uh, they have a couple guys in this list. Mm-hmm. Um, Randy Etzel uh, and before him, Paul Pasqualoni. So Randy Etzel was the coach at UConn. Uh, and honestly, as much as we make fun of him now, justifiably so, he was pretty goddamn good during his first tenure yeah. at UConn. Um, they won shares of two conference titles. Uh, they made four consecutive bowl games at one point. Um, then he left for Maryland, and they decided to bring in failed Syracuse head coach Paul Pasqualoni. He went 13-23 and 23 and was fired in three years. Uh, then Bob Diaco made sure they stayed bad. Uh, he went 11-26 and 26, mm-hmm. was also fired. Um, then UConn decided to go back to the well and bring in Randy Etzel. Um, he returned after failing at Maryland and has managed to go six and three in his first three years at the helm. Mm-hmm. Um, he also is the it's technically been four years, but the, uh, UConn did not play football in 2020. Um, so six and three in three seasons. Um, so they went 69 and 55 as an FBS program before the first time they hired a failed P5 head coach. And they have since been cursed by the football gods mm-hmm. going 30 and 79 in the ensuing stretch. They've also been cursed by not being in the Big East. This is true. Yeah. But let's pretend it's because uh, God hates Randy Etzel specifically. <laughs> that's, that's probably it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so our next school on this list is Florida Atlantic. Um, now, they brought in Howard Schnellenberger, the former Miami coach, to transition them to FBS football at the start of the uh, century. Um, so in that context, I would honestly say Schnellenberger was fairly successful. Mm-hmm. Um, he only had three winning seasons in eight years, but uh, he did have a share of a conference title and went 41-56 and 56 overall. 
which for a program's first handful of years in the FBS level is, is not too bad. Um, yeah. yeah, not everybody can be Appalachian State where it sort of jumps to the FBS level, has one bad year, and then is immediately awesome again. Sure, that is certainly the exception for the rule yeah. by and large. Um, so uh, Florida Atlantic has done this more than pretty much any other school in the country. They mm-hmm. have hired three uh, retread P5 hires. Um, the second one uh, being maybe the most successful name in this entire list, you could mm-hmm. argue, uh, which is Lane Kiffin. Um, so Lane was brought in and almost immediately became the most successful coach in school history. Uh, he went 27-13 and 13 with two outright conference titles and two bull wins in three seasons. Um, I think Lane did fantastic uh, yeah. at, at Florida Atlantic. I think he elevated the level of uh, play at that program. If I remember correctly, I believe he had Devin Singletary when he was down there, mm-hmm. um, who's had a decent career for the Buffalo Bills in the NFL. Yeah. Not that he was a really good college player, too. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, I will say quickly on Lane, I almost feel like he... Speaking of that that spectrum, he's he's there, but it's got to be like the very very you know the the opposite edge because he was I mean he kind of took the reverse career path right like that's the joke with Lane is that he, he did it he did it backwards um, so I almost feel like at the point that FAU hired him he was more an up and coming offensive coordinator than he was a retread um, because I mean you're hiring him straight away from Alabama where he was you know the, the Saban OC and I, I almost feel like it's a different guy at that point. Yeah, Lane is a guy we're going to look back and say has kind of lived nine football lives at a yeah. certain point. And um, seems to be doing pretty well now relative to, to where he was, at least. Yeah, I was pretty impressed with his first year at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Um, he reminds me a lot of Dan Mullen, I would say, as a yeah. coach on that path. That's fair. Um, so, uh, Florida Atlantic also hired Willie Taggart. Um, Willie's had one season so far at FAU, um, which I think he did okay. He went 5-4. and four. Um, not going to lighten the world on fire, but you know, I think we're willing to wait on Willie. I think he had a very good stretch at USF yeah. um, before ultimately going to Oregon for a season and then being fired for two years at Florida State. Um, you know, I, I think Willie was fired way too soon at Florida State. I think not giving him three, even just three years was pretty yeah. silly. Um, but again, we're, we're just going to wait and see on Willie at, at Florida Atlantic, right? Yeah. Um, we're going to stay in Florida for the next one uh, with Florida International, uh, FIU. Uh, they brought in Ron Turner. Uh, he coached uh, he coached Illinois in the late '90s and early aughts, and then spent a stint in the NFL. Uh, in his four years at FIU, he went 14 and 34, and was mm-hmm. then fired. So I would say, not great. Uh, Ron is one of our resounding failures. God, hiring Ron Turner. Very funny. <laughs> I gotta get Ron Turner in here. You're you're better off hiring Ike Turner. First yeah, time. yeah. Um, We're hiring Tina Turner. <laughs> um, so uh, they then repeated the trend by hiring Butch Davis. Um, Butch has gone 23-21 and 21 in his first four seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, that includes a winless year last year in 2020 yeah. and a losing record in 2019, making him 6-12 and 12 overall uh, in his last two seasons. Yeah, I, uh, I and I say that I, this is unfortunate because I like Butch. Um, I think it might be time there for, for him to maybe hang it up. Yeah, I, I understand giving him an extra year because of the pandemic and it's obviously yeah. a funky year, but uh, if they don't go 500 in 2021, uh, I would say it's time to push to go. There's Yeah, there's no real reason for FIU to be sub 500. Yeah, I mean, so, so he's looking like another failed name yeah. on this list. Um, I mean, you're, you're what, in Miami, right? Yes. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, you, that's tricky, guys. <laughs> you may be sensing a trend here so far on this list. Um, uh, on the other hand, we're going to have success here. Talking about Fresno State, mm-hmm. um, I would say Jeff Tedford is an unqualified success. Uh, yeah, uh, one of the ones alongside Kiffin, and, and not even in the the Kiffin way where he wasn't really didn't really fit the the billing as mm-hmm. much. I mean, Tedford was straight up a retread. Like he was, you know, yeah. he was what at Cal, right? He was at Cal for twelve seasons. Um, he did peter out towards mm-hmm. the end at Cal. 
Um, but he also won their only conference yeah. title last he built a, He years. built a really good program there. I yeah. mean, that was what, Marshawn Lynch era? Yes, he had Marshawn um, Lynch. He had a lot of those guys. Oh, the, the wide receiver, um, Keenan Allen, right? I think he was there during that time. Is Keenan Allen a Cal player? I think so. I thought Keenan Allen... Uh, it's not important. We were probably getting ourselves in. Let's look it up. Here. Let's, we're going to get... Uh, Jamie, how about you pull that up? <laughs> <laughs> we don't have our own Jamie yet, but yeah, he went to Cal. Oh, that's um, bad. I don't know. He played there last year was 2012. Would Tedford have that been That was there? Tedford's final season. Okay, well, Keenan Allen killed Jeff Tedford. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, anyway, he did win their only conference title in the last 45 years. Uh, he has more wins, bowl wins, conference wins, rivalry wins, and NFL players produced. And any other coach in school history. Uh, That's a he, hard job, too. It's a very hard a job. Very hard in job. some ways, I think it has some room to grow, and I think we're seeing that right now, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but he did have four ranked finishes in his time there. Um, and then he went to Fresno State, kind of mm-hmm. right up the road. Um, a little bit way up the road, actually. But yeah. he, he went to 26-14 uh, and 14 in his three years at Fresno State. He had a conference title, a top 25 finish, and a second, another division title. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great. I mean, you know, Fresno State went 11-2 and two in his first year. Yeah. Um, that's as pretty much good as you get. I think we've seen a few of these California, Cal State jobs, whether it's um, San Diego State or uh, or San Jose State this mm-hmm. past year, um, have some really good years. And, and you know, it, you have the talent available to you to do that. And Tedford was a good enough coach to make it happen. Yeah, and I, I think that the other thing is, and this isn't listed officially among his accomplishments, but I do think that it stands to, to mention, um, he left the program in a, in a better place than he found it. Um, Definitely. I, I think that, you know, handing it off to, uh, what is it, Kalen DeBoer, right? Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, his, his former offensive coordinator didn't have an amazing first year, but I, I think that that is um, pretty much unequivocally a, a success to, you know, elevate the program and then hand it off to one of your guys that's about as good as it gets for one of these hires that's kind of the goal when you do this is you get the guy for four or five years he finds a young assistant that he you know sort of passes the program on to after not really messing things up too badly Um, and then you can elevate from there I think that that's pretty much the to a T what you want from this kind yeah. of hire. Tedford to my knowledge is now happily retired but I, I think he was a great choice and yeah. one of our successful lists. Yeah. Um, and honestly I don't know it's hard to talk about Fresno State and kind of sense where it is as a program because it seems all of those California G5 schools seem so variable kind of move up and down this list but um, I don't know what I mean uh, Fresno State I think is, is a job that's trending in the right direction right now. Yeah I, I think that's fair I like Kalen DeBoer a lot I, I think that his uh I was a little surprised that they weren't better in 2020 because I don't Mm -hmm. think his system is especially complicated. It doesn't require (laughs) a ton of recruiting, and he had already built out a lot of that offense. Um, So I'm curious to see where that goes. They need a better quarterback. For sure. um, Yeah, I I think that that's that's certainly in the upper tier of the the Mountain West for sure. So let's uh, let's stay out west here with this one. Uh, We have Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had Todd Graham now for one season. Uh, I know we have a few Pitt fans listening to this podcast. Uh, I want to say I did grow up in the high-octane era uh, of Todd Graham football at the University of Pittsburgh, and uh, we love Todd Graham this podcast. Speaking is that, for myself. Is that true? I love Todd Graham. Okay. Uh, I think Todd Graham is one of like the true college football, kind of like low-level dirtbags. Doesn't do anything like <laughs> like all that. Yes. like seriously awful just kind of seems grimy yeah, yeah. Uh, is a gimmick guy I think he's great I think he's a good guy to have in the sport yeah uh, hired a really good staff when he, when he showed up at sure least did. if you ask me and he just um, lost his receivers coach to Brendan, Pitt Brendan Marion right yes, a little who, bit of revenge there who I would imagine a lot of people listening are familiar with um, mm-hmm. as the, uh, the the inventor and proprietor of the go-go offense which has become very popular on the college football internet yeah and he was a, a hell of a recruiter when he was at Howard he lived mm-hmm. in the Whippeal 
Um, he's going to be an OC real quick. Real, real quick. I, and especially with how bad Mark Whipple sucks for Pitt. He yeah. might be the OC at Pitt if Pepper mm. Busey can survive Mark Whipple. Yeah, I, I would keep my eye on that, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so uh, next uh, we have Bob Davey. Um, so Bob Davey was a failed Notre Dame coach mm-hmm. uh, and then spent a decade as a broadcaster. Um, after that, Notre Dame, or I'm sorry, uh, New Mexico brought him in to run the program from 2012 through 2019. Uh, now, New Mexico is a very hard job, but yeah. I think he still failed by any metric there. He went 35 and 64 in eight seasons, only two winning seasons. They were pretty good when he started out, too. They were they yeah. were at least, I remember them being decent. I'm looking up the uh, the school history now. Let's see here. Um, yeah, shows up four and nine, three and nine, four and eight, and then they went seven and six and nine and four in back to back years, 2015, 2016. I remember they had a really good, um, like a pistol option attack mm-hmm. um, with, I think it was Bob DeBess was the offensive coordinator. Um, and then, who was the quarterback in 2016? Let me look. Um, no, that's not who I was thinking of. But anyway, they had a pretty good rushing attack, and then it just completely fell off a cliff. Just <laughs> just died. Um, their defense was never especially good, and once the offense fell off, that was just that was it for the the Davy era. Yeah, uh, Bob Davy sucks. I'm a, I'm a Bob Davy sucks kind of guy. Okay, yeah. Uh, I'm anti Davy. Let's talk about Ohio University. Um, so. I, think I will say I love this one just before just before time. I you love, love Fra- the hire. I love Frank Solich. Okay, yeah, I, I would say I'm willing to define him as a success, although maybe not necessarily a very vivid one. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been the head coach at Ohio U for uh, 16 seasons now, uh, after six years coaching Nebraska. Yeah, uh, which is his alma mater. Uh, he's never won the conference in 16 seasons, but he has won eight or more games on nine occasions and has yeah. 11 bowl wins. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's good. I think most OU fans would take this era for sure. I think they're pretty happy with it. Um, I, I would say, like, you should win the conference once in 16 yeah. years, especially uh, you're a little younger than I am. When I was coming up in high school, I think, like, every kid in the country knew about OU because it was the era of the I'm Schmacked YouTube videos, <laughs> which were a series of, uh, of videos highlighting college parties, uh, just, like, the craziest college yeah. party towns in the country. And OU was also ranked in, like, the uh, Princeton Review's number one party school yeah. for quite a while. And um, I don't understand why they didn't get more linemen who love to drink and were also good. <laughs> we don't know uh, that. We don't know <laughs> that they didn't do that. Fair enough. Those linemen did probably drink, but uh, they weren't I've been, to, I've been to OU before. I'm pretty sure those linemen drank. <laughs> I, I would just say that you should be able to beat you should be on par with Toledo and Western Michigan. Your quarterback should be functionally drunk during games, <laughs> is what you're saying. Yes, I think yeah. you need a coach who can master the drunken master style of Kung Fu. Yeah. Um, maybe life would have been different if he got Joe Burrow. Uh, that could have mm-hmm. changed things, I would say. That would have been fun. Yeah. Joe Burrow in an option offense. <laughs> what, a, what a world that would be, right? Um, yeah, I, I also, I'll talk about this one briefly. Um, this one, I'll, I think that I'm, I mentioned that I'm higher on, I think specifically because, and we talked about the Mac a little bit earlier, it's really hard to win consistently for 16 years in the Mac. That's yeah. not, that you don't really build programs there that are meant to last. That's that's not the... Yeah. I mean, 11 yeah. bowl eligible seasons that's, out of 16 is pretty damn good. That's nuts. That. I mean, it's, it's, it's them and like Toledo as the, the Mac programs that win consistently, at least in recent in recent memory and Frank Solish has done it entirely by himself and never bounced to a bigger job, which is very, very strange for the Mac. And of the guys we're going to talk about on here who were successful or have been successful, he is one of maybe two, depending on how you find another guy we're going to talk about later, who wanted to stay, um, who came there to stay and actually is doing well at doing it. Yeah. Um, So So, yeah, I I will defend Solich just for being weird and, and for sticking to Ohio and, um, being kind of a, a, a curmudgeon that runs a cool offense. I, uh, I, I respect him for that. Fair enough. I'll, I'll let you have it. Uh, then we're talking about San Diego State. 
Um, so uh, Brady Hoke, uh, uh, we love him. We love him dearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, was at San Diego State and Ball State in the past, and is now back for a second stint. Um, he just went four and four in his first year. I think we're going to say we're going to give him time and say it's too early to call. Yeah. Um, he was forty-seven and fifty overall in his, his years combined at Ball State and San Diego State, and then I think we all know what happened at Michigan. Uh, he did Brady really. Hoke. He did really well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Everything went well, and it was cool. <laughs> yeah, he was great. I think he's a Hall of Fame coach yeah. at Michigan. Uh-huh. Uh, he's truly a leader and Him champion. And, yeah, he, he and Dave Brandon, two all-time guys at Michigan. <laughs> so anyway, we're gonna wait and see on Brady Hoke. I'm not optimistic there. I think that's another program that you know had a kind of talent advantage in the Mountain West. Yeah. Uh, you gotta do better than 500. Yeah, I, uh, I like Brady Hoke. I don't know if I like him enough to think that this is going to work. Yeah, why is he at San Diego State? I don't. I mean, yeah, I don't know yeah. why. They, whatever. Let's let's not worry too much about it because we have a very exciting name to talk about here. Next mm-hmm. I love this one. Uh, we have Dennis Franchione at Texas State. Now he went twenty and twenty eight in his four years of SB, FBS football at Texas State. He's pretty good at Texas State. It's not bad. That's not an easy job. Yeah, go Bobcats. And he is one of the first men in history to get fired for being too online. Mm-hmm. Franchion was fired by Texas A&M after circulating an email newsletter to high-profile boosters for $1,200 a year with intimate details of the program, assessments of players, injury updates, uh, practice and camp reports. Really good. He was literally just doing, like, me- <laughs> <laughs> message boards, insider stuff to make an extra, like, few grand. I think he said he made $27,000 off this, which is so funny because you're getting that. paid hundreds oh, of thousands of dollars. I love that he was circulating it himself. It wasn't even, like, a top-level staffer. No, it was him. It is unbelievable. <laughs> like, I know, uh, you know, oh, I'm not going to out anybody on this because I respect all posters, but yeah. I, I do know plenty of college coaches who have told me they are actively reading all, many of the message boards for the program. Yeah, which is hilarious. Very funny, yeah. yes. Most of them do not post, or at least yeah. post to my knowledge. They don't have any burner accounts. Franchi, I'm taking it a step further and basically becoming a Rivals publisher. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Hilariously funny. Yeah, man, that... <laughs> <laughs> Showing up to the Texas A and M, you know, booster event, and you're like, "Hey, are you subscribed to the Dennis Franchione OnlyFans?" <laughs> and here's the best part: it only went to 27 people. Oh my god! The newsletter. So he knows. <laughs> Apparently, they got so mad at him after he got his ass beat by Miami one year yeah. that they, <laughs> one of these boosters, one of 27 people, went to the AD and was like, "Hey, do you know what your coach is doing?" <laughs> Have you ever seen the Big Short? Where Michael yes. Burry sends out the email where he's like, I'm locking all of your accounts. <laughs> you just trust me on this. That's what Dennis Francione was doing. He's oh like, listen, I know that we got our ass beat, but I'm locking your account. You're not allowed to leave. <laughs> we love Dennis Francione. He's great. This is one of my favorite stories Res- in college football. To, respect to a king. Uh, all right, let's get back into the slog here. <laughs> um, we've got uh, another great name here. Um, mm-hmm. Before I go through this here, I'm going to give out a rule. Um if the coach you're hiring sounds like he should be a character on The Office, mm-hmm. don't hire him. Yeah. So Tulane hired Bob Toledo. <laughs> Great name. Who went 15 and 46 in five years as head coach from 2007 to 2011. He had previously been a head coach at UCLA, uh, where he actually did win the conference twice, made a Rose Bowl and a Cotton Bowl. But then, I mean, obviously, he was just completely mailing it in. He was like, I want to go to New Orleans. I want to eat as many beignets as I possibly can in five years yeah. and win as few football games as possible despite having one of the best G5 jobs out there. Mm-hmm. And God bless him, he did it. You ever seen a picture of this man? <laughs> no. He looks... Oh, man. <laughs> he, he, it's it's almost frightening. He looks like Nick Saban's dad. Like, if you if you look it up, it looks like he, he looks exactly like 
if uh, if if Nick Saban aged like maybe ten more years, right? It's it's um, I would consider it deeply concerning. Even there are a couple pictures where he just straight up looks like Nick Saban. Oh man, he really does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Is this Nick Saban's alter ego? Was he bored? He's like, I got to coach Toledo at the same time. Bob or, Toledo, uh, Tulane. Bob Toledo looks like if you gave Nick Saban Charlie Kirk's face. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a cool thing to do, yeah. This because Bob Toledo does sound like the name that Nick Saban would come up with if he was operating this under an the, alias. Yeah, yeah, Bob Toledo is the Nick Saban with Joey Freshwater is the Lane Kiffin. Yes, yeah. We've we've <laughs> Except uncovered instead of trying to pick up college yeah. girls like Nick Saban's trying to get into like coaching clinics without being recognized. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just wants to hear him talk. He doesn't want to have to give one. <laughs> oh, we love that. Uh, okay, oh, uh, let's get down to UNLV um, now. We're going to try to not talk about Tate Martell here in UNLV. Mm-hmm. We're gonna, we're gonna, no, we're going to save that for when we talk about UCF. <laughs> that's right. That's right. This is our one mention of Tate Martell pre-UCF. Yeah. Um, so, uh, UNLV hired uh, former USC and Los Angeles Rams head coach John Robinson, um, who was a pretty damn good college football coach for quite a while. Mm-hmm. He coached uh, USC and the Rams for 21 combined seasons, won a national title at USC, uh, and then he went down to UNLV, where I assume he just wanted to gamble more and probably yeah. just hit the strippies. Yeah. Uh, he went uh, 28 and 42 in six seasons. Only had one winning record. A job that no one seems to figure out, but uh, I think everyone seems eminently winnable at. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a couple of those in college football. Yeah. Just, yeah. You, you can keep saying that it's a big job, it's a good job, but eventually you have to win there. <laughs> Someone will. One of these days, yeah. I'm going to keep going. I'm going long on uh, UNLV. Okay, this is truly the uh, the power spread of coaching. It's just That's like right. it's going to take hold this year. It <laughs> never does. Um, all right, next we've got South Florida. Uh, we already talked about Willie Taggart there, who was not a rerun at, at UC, USF. Mm-hmm. That was during his come up. Yeah. Um, they did hire Charlie Strong uh, after he was fired at Texas. Um, Charlie was 21 and 16 in three years, including a 10 and two performance in his first year as head coach. Yeah, um, that was following up an 11 and two season that Willie had just had with one of the most talented teams in all of uh, G5 college football. Um, he did unfortunately get worse every single year he was at USF yeah. and was ultimately fired. Um, I do think it was a premature firing, and I think Jeff Scott sucks way worse than Charlie Strong ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still don't think you can say Charlie was a success by any measure at USF. Um, you know, he took a program that Willie Taggart had rescued kind of the dregs of the Big East and had winning the All-American uh, Athletic Conference, rather, yeah. uh, winning 11 games a year, finishing ranked, and then he brought it back to being a losing program. Yeah, I, uh, I'll push back on saying that Charlie should have gotten more time because that program was not was not trending in the right direction. Um, those dudes were, it, like... You can kind of uh, the, what's the uh, the old you know the the old I think it was the Supreme Court saying that you know you know it when you see it right. That was about porn. Yes, yeah. yeah. When you can see, you know it when you see it when you're yeah. looking at a program quitting on a coach. And USF was sort of in that territory where like these dudes don't want to be here. <laughs> Isn't he back with Urban Meyer now? I believe so. He was hired I also, as the Jags linebacker yeah, coach. Yeah, I, I believe so. I also have some information on the last man we were talking about, John Robinson, 85 years old. Do you know what he's doing right now? Oh, let me guess. I think he he, he runs a uh, podcast on entertainment that has a deal with FanDuel. He's a he's the uh, he's a senior consultant for the LSU Tigers. <laughs> this man is eighty five. I'm sure they're just sending him like fifty grand a year to just be like, uh, Ed will just uh, fax him over. Some, yeah. uh, some, I don't know what those those USC ties run deep. Yeah, good for him, man. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you gotta love that. That yeah, is so nice. Respect, to, be able to just get respect a, get a to that, man. 
He's probably just paying for his grandkids' college with that. Do time. you think he's ever been in Baton Rouge? <laughs> <laughs> um, he realizes that the air quality would kill him if he yeah, ever arrived. Yeah, you're not legally, if you're above 85 <laughs> years old, you can't enter Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's good. Uh, I'm going to refrain from an occasion accent yet. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that for later on the podcast. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll that's going to be a subscriber-only deal when we, yeah. when we start really That's going to be in the $1,200 newsletter. <laughs> That's a good um, racket, man. If you just get one person, you're in a pretty good, pretty good spot. Twelve hundred. Let's, let's talk about a place that's maybe the polar opposite of UNLV in every capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Utah State. Yeah. Um, I almost kind of wanted to put Gary Anderson in my exceptions category because he's one of the strangest men to ever coach college football. <laughs> he willingly left Wisconsin and Oregon State. He actually paid Wisconsin to not coach them. Yeah. He paid them $3 million to quit, which is so <laughs> funny. And then uh, Oregon State, he wasn't forced out there either. Um, he quit two jobs in weird ways in the course of four seasons. Yeah. And then you'll be surprised to learn this. He also quit midseason at Utah State. I'll tell you, I'm not surprised to learn that. I, actually, I was I was sort of expecting you when you said that. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay, well, hey, you have better intuition than mm-hmm. I do. Uh, so say seven and nine in two seasons for uh, for Gary Anderson. That team sucked. That Man. team in his second year was just terrible. Terrible. I think to me, I will always remember Gary Anderson <laughs> like just being bullied by Urban Meyer yeah. in that 2014-15 Big Ten Conference Championship game. Yeah. Where uh, Cardell Jones unleashed himself upon the world. Um, one of the meanest things anyone's done in football in a long time. We don't really see just complete eviscerations like that yeah. anymore. Uh, pretty funny. I think it was yeah, pretty Gary funny. Gary Anderson getting called up to Barry Alvarez's office the next day. <laughs> Barry Alvarez has 10 championship rings on. He's just slapping him. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, I warned you before the podcast, mm-hmm. this is off the air, um, that I would have a little fun fact for you, an Easter yeah. egg. There I haven't scrolled down to the second, the next page here, so this is going to be a complete surprise to me. Okay. So, let's talk about Texas San Antonio. Yep. Larry Coker... Another former Miami coach mm-hmm. uh, was hired as uh, UTSA's coach to bring uh, bring them into yeah. the FBS. Yeah. They, they went fourteen and twenty two in three years there. Uh, for some reason, schools just love bringing in former Miami coaches to transition them to FBS mm-hmm. programs. Uh, well, Coker, it's famously Sean the Parker, most stable program, <laughs> right? Of course, if you want, you're, you're looking around, you say, "I want to run a program yeah. that's sustainable." It's steady. I know exactly what I'm doing. It's not crazy mm-hmm. at all. I want to learn from Miami Hurricanes. Yeah. Yeah, the program that famously did it all with development and coaching. That's right. <laughs> Here's the fun fact for you, Patrick, and for all of our listeners. Mm-hmm. Do you know who it was that fired Larry Coker at Miami? Um, no, but I have a guess based on your, your tweets today. I have I have sort of an assumption about this. I'm excited to know. Are you going to? I um, I want to hear your guess. <laughs> Are you queuing up a song right now? I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, you tweeted about fight song, didn't you? Yes, I sure did. Is it the woman that played fight song? That's right. Okay. It's, it's, um, <laughs> it's congresswoman, former congresswoman now, and yeah. also former Clinton Foundation head, uh-huh. Donna Shalala, okay. who is a former president at the University of Miami. Yeah. Uh, a classic. 
who, classic queen of college football. Who I think was there for a while, right? I think she was the yeah, president there for a while. I think now. she was there for pretty much the entire time that they were terrible at football. <laughs> Which is pretty funny. She's just like a four foot eleven woman. Who, yeah. Uh, just unironically plays like corny uh, pump up songs. Yeah, standing up there hearings. to 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 play fight song. That's so funny, dude. <laughs> fun. I, I wouldn't do that in my office that has six people in it, and she did it on the <laughs> floor of Congress. <laughs> oh my god oh let's it see here cry laugh, she right? was the president of miami from 2001 to 2015 so yeah she was there pretty much the whole time that they were dog yeah. shit yeah i believe she actually <laughs> directly recruited sean taylor yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's, that sounds right okay um so oh man uh, that rocks We're, we're now done with our quick hitters list, the schools that uh, don't really matter compared to uh, UCF, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk about a few exceptions. You're going to learn why we don't consider these on the same platform as UCF. Mm-hmm. Um, there are four Power Five retread hires who I think we would all say were kind of very successful. Well, three of them were very successful. Yeah. Um, they don't count, though, in my mind, because they were not fired for performance reasons. They were all fired for equally hilarious and stupid reasons at uh, different places. Mm-hmm. So we have Liberty with uh, current head coach Hugh Freeze. Um, Hugh has obviously been a huge success at Liberty, uh, but he left Ole Miss under the shadow of NCAA sanctions. Uh, I believe he, what, hired prostitutes for his players? Is that correct? That sounds right, Is that yeah. the Rick Pitino thing? Doesn't um, I think he hired prostitutes for himself on a university phone, wasn't that, <laughs> That's the, what, wasn't that the thing? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. He, you know. Uh, Regular guy stuff to do. Yeah. Hugh Freeze just trying to have a little fun. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Um, our next is actually at UCF itself um, with George O'Leary, mm-hmm. uh, longtime UCF head coach. He was pretty damn successful at Georgia Tech. He had an ACC conference title there, for God's sake, which uh, not many coaches have done yeah. uh, in the time of Georgia One Tech. One of the realest dudes of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine winning a conference title at Georgia Tech. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm saying for this next part that you're oh, about to okay, get to. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So then he was hired to coach Notre Dame, <laughs> but was canned before coaching a game because he lied in his resume. He stole valor mm-hmm. from the University of New Hampshire football players. He claimed he was a three-time letter winner despite never playing a single game in his time at UNH. He also claims that he had a master's degree from NYU Stony Brook, <laughs> a school that does not exist. <laughs> It's so easy to check this. This was what? on his public bio. Why would you lie about that? <laughs> it was on his public bio as a coach for decades, and no one thought to look it up and just check to make sure. Is this real? Is this oh, fake? Imagine, you, this man, the confidence of this man to apply to the job at Notre Dame. He's just like, I don't think they'll check. <laughs> and to clarify... They didn't check before hiring him. No. This came out because someone someone didn't even figure out the NYU Stony Brook part. Yeah. Someone figured out the UNH part, <laughs> where so, I guess like a disgruntled New Hampshire fan wrote in to say that he wasn't yeah. uh, he wasn't actually someone this ever played This bastard. He, he never played it. I know every player who's ever played at New Hampshire. <laughs> that man stole yeah. valor. Yeah. Anyway, um, he won 81 and 68 in 12 years as UCF's head coach. Uh, he won four conference titles, two other division titles, and he finished ranked twice. Um, he did, funnily enough, uh, both start and end his career there with mm-hmm. winless seasons. Yeah. Um, so if you take those away, he was, uh, what, 81 and uh, 44? Yeah, pretty good. 
Yeah, I mean, hell, that's really good for it's it's a it's a really good G five job. It but, is. It is. Um, still, that's you know. He's also, I'd say, responsible for making it a really good G five job in many ways. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, he um, was he was there during a pretty crucial time where they they needed somebody who could say like uh, you know recruit really really well and yeah. establish it as a recruiting power. And George O'Leary did right. that. Nonetheless, in true Florida fashion, they did hire him despite knowing he lied in his resume. Because mm-hmm. uh, they did it because they knew he lied on his resume. <laughs> yeah, we want this dude. Like this is someone that all the players at, at UCF yes. identify with. They yes. all lied in transcripts to get in here in the first place. Yeah, uh, we love that for them. We got a lot of seventeen ACTs in here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, our next school, uh, we are going back to UTSA. We're not UTEP. talking about Don- UTEP. UTEP. You're yeah. right. I did write this down wrong. Uh, sorry, guys. You're fine. I'm going to be, I think Patrick's going to fire me from the podcast here for this. This yeah. is a good last episode. See, I corrected it on the doc. I was hoping we were looking at the same one. Damn. What can you Heartbreaking. do? Heartbreaking. It happens to the best oh, of us. Well. UTEP. Um, okay. So, much like Georgia Leary, Georgia Tech, Mike Price uh, had pretty unprecedented success during his time at Wazoo before being hired at Texas San Ant- at Texas El Paso. Yep. Uh, he won the conference twice at Wazoo and had three 10 win seasons in a seven year stretch. Mm-hmm. He got hired at Alabama. <laughs> and then what happened? <laughs> <laughs> he immediately got reprimanded for going to bars on campus too much yes. and then got fired after he got absolutely hammered at a golf tournament in Pensacola, Florida, went to a strip club and brought a stripper back to his room who charged a thousand dollars to the room. I don't know what you can do in a hotel room in Pensacola. I don't know what you can do to a stripper that causes that. Not even that. How do you spend a grand in a hotel room in Pensacola? If you bought the entire mini bar, it would not be a grand. No. If you bought every porno available on the TV, it would not be a grand. <laughs> This, what did this woman do? This this actually people don't know this. Pensacola, it's like uh it's 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 like um what's the European city where all drugs are legal? <laughs> Amsterdam. Yes, the, Pensacola is America's Amsterdam and Mike <laughs> Price was rolling up. He's like, uh yeah, I'll just take one of everything. <laughs> we love that for him. Uh Mike Price is yeah. our official real ass dude of the week. Isn't that what happened to Gary Moeller too? Uh, when he got fired from Michigan, yeah, Moeller was found intoxicated at Southfield at a Southfield, Michigan restaurant in an incident in which he was caught on tape throwing a punch in a police station, which resulted in his firing. <laughs> this is like a tradition of, of college football coaches is getting way too drunk and being fired from big jobs for yeah. it. Do you know anyone else in like football or football media that got way too drunk and tried to punch a cop, maybe? Mm. Uh, Wouldn't know anybody like that. <laughs> None come to mind. All right, let's go. We'll just get right past that. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Mike Price was hired at UTEP. Uh, he went 48 and 61, retired for 2012. Did pretty well, honestly. I mean, yeah. for, for your first FBS coach there. Another one of those uh, very hard jobs. Yeah, very yeah. hard. I mean, because the anti recruiting at UTEP is. Um, I, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to be too blunt in saying this. Um, college football coaches say wildly racist things mm-hmm. about programs that are on the Mexico border, like yeah. right near that area. Texas State deals with this. UTEP deals with it. Um, it's the, dangerous. Drug yeah, cartels. The, the negative. We'll the negative recruiting that goes on in these schools. It's. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like right. these are college towns, <laughs> and also. The border isn't that unsafe. Like you're fine. You can you can be in San Marcos and you're fine. You can be in El Paso and you're fine. Um, and so to win there a, a, at a pretty high level, um, that's, that's really hard to do. You you have to you have to know your stuff pretty yeah. well to do that. Yeah. So salute to Mike Price. Yeah. Um, Another real ass dude. He is, in my opinion, the real ass dude of the week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We need to start naming one of those. Yeah, <laughs> Alabama gave him a big check, and he's like, "I'm going to spend all of this right now." <laughs> <laughs> 
That is such a southern man thing to do is just go blow your entire career yes. and check in Pensacola, Florida. Yes. We love we that. We do man. love that. Okay. Respect. <laughs> Speaking of just true yes. uh bacchanalist, hedonistic, dirtbag coaches that mm-hmm. we love with every fiber of our being. Yes. Let's talk about Bobby Petrino, baby. Oh, of course. So good old Bobby. We all know the Petrino story, I yeah. think. For this if you need a refresher or you aren't as obsessed by Petrino as we are. Uh, he was fired from Arkansas mm-hmm. after crashing his motorcycle while riding it with a former all-SEC Arkansas volleyball player that he was having an affair with. And he was, what, like 50s, late 50s yes. at this point? He yep. denied me with anybody else. Then everyone who was on the scene was like, I mean, there's a woman right there who's hurt. And he's like, don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> she, can't, she, can't, she jumped onto the motorcycle after. I, was, I wasn't doing anything. He hired the woman he was having an affair with to be his secretary, I believe, yeah. uh, when he was in Arkansas. Yeah. I love the Bobby Petrino of all the coaches who just brazenly flaunt any kind of like rule or like authority, mm-hmm. he's number one at that of all time. Just truly does not care. Do it out in the open. Yeah. Um, he's a king. We love him. We do. Um, it also he, sparked one of the greatest college football pictures of all time where he's smiling with the <laughs> neck brace. His face is all fucked up. The press conference with, him with the neck brace. With the, with the Sugar Bowl hat on for the Sugar Bowl game that he lost. <laughs> It is. It's one of the. <laughs> I can't even catch my breath here. It's so goddamn funny. I love. Bobby Petrino is another guy. He, he's a little more like real dirtbag than Todd Graham is, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Like he's an actual turd. You know, he cuts an offer and shit like that. Can I read you the headline to an article real quick here? This is from rivalshogbeat.com. We love Hogbeat. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about getting trouble on the podcast. Come on, guys. <laughs> You can't name it that. (laughs) Shit. It didn't register until I read it. You can't name it that, guys. Hogbeat.com. I'm sorry. Holy shit. We're here at the South Carolina Rivals site, coxfans.com. Come on. Oh, anyway. Oh, my God. This headline. This is from 2019. This is from November 2019, right? Headline says, could Arkansas legally rehire Bobby Petrino? That's always such a good sign. Oh, Oh, I'm in tears right now. Oh, apparently I can can join Hogbeat for free for 30 days with the code HOGS30. (laughs) I'd love to. <laughs> That's actually um unbelievable. <laughs> 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 Most people only know about the whole first diet. <laughs> You've heard of Whole Thirty? Ever tried Hogs Thirty? <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I'm crying on the second episode. <laughs> Shit! <laughs> this is so good. Oh man, please rescue us. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> shout out to Bobby Petrino. Shout out to Hoggy. <laughs> I can't believe it's around. I worked oh, at Rivals man. for like four years, and I can't believe I never heard of Hogbeat.com. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> okay. Oh man. Oh. All right. <laughs> back in the saddle, I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Where did Bobby Petrino get hired after he was fired? Uh, Louisville took him back. Yes. <laughs> it's pretty funny that Louisville and uh, 
and Petrino just both knew they were perfectly dirty enough for each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the right fit. Well, where was he before Louisville? Because he, he took a there was a pit stop at the the G five job, right? No, that's Western Kentucky. I'm sorry. Oh, I okay. didn't say this. I, I, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I missed that part. Yeah. The important part of Petrino is the affair. Let's not talk about the football. Yeah. Okay. Now, so Bobby Petrino uh, was at Louisville, then Arkansas, then he went eight and four in a one season at Western Kentucky and got hired back at Louisville. Yeah. So pretty good for Western Kentucky. I'd say it's a pretty good year. Um, eight and four is not bad. No. Um, and was he then succeeded by Willie Taggart? I, I think, think so. I'm, and I'm, then by Jeff Brown after I'm that. I'm looking. Go ahead and vamp while I look here. Yeah. I mean, um, man. I can't believe. <laughs> no, he 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 succeeded Taggart. Taggart was twenty ten to twenty twelve. Then it was Petrino. Then it was Brom. I believe Brom worked under Petrino. Mm. Um, yeah, he was his offensive coordinator. Yeah, it's really weird that Purdue's not doing so great. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, now that you guys, if you guys, for those of you who are still with us at this point, yeah. uh, we have gone through all of the examples that really don't matter that much. Mm-hmm. Um, now well, and we're, we're only, what, 50 minutes in? <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to spend time talking about examples of G5 hires that we think are relevant to uh, what's happening at UCF, what you should expect. Yeah. Um, interesting enough, uh, all three of them, uh, I'm sorry, all four of them are in the same conference as UCF. They're mm-hmm. all the American. Um, Cincinnati is the first one we're going to talk about here. Their retread hire is also a former Auburn coach mm-hmm. uh, and now a senator. This uh, is the second time that we've gotten to talk about somebody on the Hill in this episode. It's true. It's yeah. true. This is, Our uh, two greatest politicians of all time, Donna Shalala and Tommy Tupperville. That's right. I love a Donna Shalala GF and a Tommy Tupperville BF. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So Tommy Tupperville uh, won a share of one conference title and went 29 and 22 with zero top 25 finishes in mm-hmm. four years. And, and alienated essentially every high school coach in his state. Which, which is incredible. Yeah. Uh, he decides to Which is hard to do. Cincinnati in an area that has Cincy nearby, that mm-hmm. has Dayton, that has Columbus, that has Indianapolis, Louisville, Lexington. Yeah. It's a recruiting hotbed. He decided. Indiana. Like pretty just, much all of Indiana. Yes. He said, you know what I need? I think I want some low Florida three stars that I'm yes. getting the 67th pick at. Yeah. Uh, that's a great call for him. Mm-hmm. It's time uh, to go he, down into Arkansas. Now he did get, we do have to love the fact that he got Munchie Legault, a true yes. legend that we all King. love. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Munchie Legault. Anyway, uh, like we said, Tommy barely was above 500 in four years there. Um, the four other coaches Cincinnati has had in the last 15 years uh, are Luke Fickle, Butch Jones, Brian Kelly, and Mark D'Antonio. Yeah. Combined... Those guys went 111 and 52 with five conference titles and eight top 25 finishes in 13 seasons. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll speak bluntly here about this real quick. It's really hard to fuck up at Cincinnati. Yeah, it's, it's a really, great job. It's really really hard. You're in a um, not huge but a, a pretty nice city. Um, mm-hmm. You're you know right now you're in a, a conference that I think I think suits you really well. Um, I like Cincinnati's fit in the AAC. Um, you are generally, I mean, you don't have a monopoly over the area, but you can get those four stars. I mean, Ohio State's going to go after the, we talked about this last episode, Ohio State's going to go after the higher rated guys in Cincinnati, but, you know, past the 250 mark or so in the recruiting rankings, Ohio State doesn't really do that. Ohio State doesn't really go for those guys in right. Cincinnati. It doesn't want to get in that fight. Cincinnati can and has beaten Michigan State yeah. and Kentucky and Indiana and Pitt for kids yeah. in that area that are, yeah. are you're, you're not pretty gonna, damn good football players. You're not going to get the, you know, the five-star Catholic offensive tackle who's going to Notre Dame. You're not going to get the, you know, the uh, the high four-star 
I don't know, offensive lineman, defensive lineman, linebacker uh, who's going to Ohio State. But there's a lot of talent there, especially skill talent, that just doesn't mm-hmm. really go to Ohio State. Ohio State doesn't really recruit that area for skill talent, neither does Notre Dame. So Cincinnati is left with a ton of like, you know, 300 range wide receivers who aren't quite, you know, top level athletes, but that are really, really good. Yeah, I'm yeah. with you 100%. Um, that job has been an absolute launching pad for coaches from that point. Uh, we and, saw, and fucking it up is just hilarious. I yes, mean, that's I mean, it'd be so <laughs> imp- bad. Impossibly bad. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? Butch Jones, Brian Kelly, and Mark Antonio all went on to P5 coaching jobs immediately afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tennessee for Butch, uh, Notre Dame for Brian Kelly, and Michigan State for Mark Antonio. Yeah. Um, they all did great relative to the expectations of those programs, except for Butch. Yeah. Uh, kind of sucked, but. Uh, I agree. Butch Jones did great at Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, is Butch Jones the most successful Tennessee coach in the ever. last 15 yeah. years? <laughs> yes, ever. Okay. Um, and then I think we all expect Luke Fickle is going to be shortly going to a big-time job himself. Mm-hmm. He has his pick of anything that he wants. Yeah. Um, it'll be Notre Dame or Penn State next. Yeah. Um, anyway, both Fickle and Brian Kelly have top 10 finishers there. Tommy Tupperville sucks, man. Again, yeah. we all want all the reasons Just, why. That is it, such an easy job. And, and all the coaches we're going to talk about here went to AAC programs, or programs that are now in the AAC at least, yeah. with major resources in a major metropolitan area with a ton of talent right around them and a, uh, a pretty rich history of winning football games. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no reason you should not win Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's true for, I think, a lot of these jobs. There's one that I'll push back on, but uh, what's what's next here on this list? We have Houston. Okay. So from 2003 through 2018, Houston employed five first-time head coaches. Um, they went a combined 128-78 and 78 in those 16 seasons, yeah. winning two conference titles, four other division titles, and finishing ranked in the, AP, the top 15 of the AP poll twice. Uh, those coaches were uh, noted great guy Art Bryles. Uh, we have Kevin Sumlin. We have Tony Devine with Tom Herman and Major Applewhite. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that uh, Art Bryles, Kevin Sumlin, and Tom Herman were all great successes there. I don't yeah. think anyone thought very highly of Divine or Applewhite. Um, but nonetheless, that job has been also an, an launching pad for big-time coaches. Um, so there's an infamous quote here from uh, Houston President Reno Couture. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably saying that wrong. Apologies there. And this one was coming directly from, uh, what's his name, the guy who runs the uh, the Rockets, who owns the Rockets. Uh, Tillman Fertitta. Yeah, that's right. This this quote was essentially the president serving as a mouthpiece for Tillman Fertitta, from, from what I've gathered. Now, maybe the most one of the top ten most hated owners in sports right now. Yeah, and also say. one of the poorest guys in yeah, the world. Broke boy, we got a broke boy alert. <laughs> Get him out of here. Uh, okay, Reno Couture uh, infamously said, "Winning is defined at the University of Houston as ten and two. We'll fire coaches at eight and four. And then they did. They did fire <laughs> They fired Applewhite after just two seasons, where he went a combined fifteen and ten. He went eight and four, and then seven. Or I'm sorry, eight and five and seven and five. Is that right? Sounds right. Yes. Uh, and then they hired Dana Holgerson uh, mm-hmm. out of WVU, who has gone seven and thirteen in his first two years of the program, and has absolutely tanked the recruiting rankings. Yeah. There. Uh, they're recruiting famously iced out one of the better quarterbacks in school history and then incredible <laughs> for no reason for no reason no benefit at all I mean Holgerson was had some good years at West Virginia it was really tailing off there towards the end yeah. because obviously Neil Brown's doing much better I would say than what we saw from late era Holgerson mm-hmm. but um, we, it's just a guy that's not 
taking the job seriously. He's not trying yeah. to win at this. We job. we have at some point once he gets fired probably, but but maybe sooner than that we have to take a look at that that first year there and just how incredible how bird brained the idea of tanking in college football is, Such where you you idiot. redshirt so many of your your senior players, some of your elder players, and you know you're trying to get experience for the younger guys. You're hitting the transfer portal. One of the dumbest ideas that I think any college coach has ever. There's no. There's no benefit to yeah. doing that. Yeah, like great, you have a more experienced team next year. All of your seniors left because you redshirted them. You fucking idiot. And keep in mind too that that year, that 2019 season, he had the senior year of the highest ranked G5 recruiting class yeah. in college football history. <laughs> it would have been really good. <laughs> yeah, De'Ara King was like the best quarterback that Miami has had since. They won national titles. Yeah, the question mark. I mean, yeah. I think he was better than Ken Dorsey. Yeah. So you got to go back a ways. What, Vinny Testaverde or something? I guess, man. And and um, Dana walked in. He's like, I don't want this guy. It's like, no thanks. <laughs> Get I'm him out of my face. The quarterbacks? Fuck no. Jesus, what a stupid hire. What an idiot. Rhett Lashley, right there. Just sitting there. You yeah. can always hire Rhett Lashley. Right. Uh, next up, uh, we have Memphis. So uh, we're going to talk about this one a little bit more because it's a little bit of a different story than what we've seen from uh, Houston and Cincinnati so far. Yeah. Um, Memphis wasn't successful prior to hiring this guy, right? They, yeah. they struggled in Kusa for a little while there and as an independent as well a little bit for, leave, for a little bit, I believe. This was a bad job for a long time. This was a bad program. Arguably never should have been. Yeah. yeah. You can make that argument. Which is weird. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So from 2001 to 2009, Memphis employed failed Clemson head coach Tommy West. Uh-huh. Uh, he went 49 and 61 in his nine years at the school and never finished better than tied for second in his own division in Kusa. Yeah. Many years were saying that he went Tommy South when he was. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I didn't say it. Many are, though. Oh, my God. I'm just reporting what I hear. Uh, Memphis then screwed up the next hire. Uh, they got Larry Porter in, uh-huh. uh, who I. I think won like three games in two years, something like that. Then yeah. got fired. Um, he, he uh, they then jumped to the AAC uh, yeah. and have not really looked back since. So I, I think Memphis is a school here that uh, learned from the mistakes of hiring retreads and decided we're going to go a different route because they have since gone seventy-two and forty-three under the leadership of Justin Fuente, Mike Norvell, and Ryan Silverfield. Yeah, they've won two conference championships, two other division championships, and two ranked AP top five, top twenty-five finishes. Um, Fuente has been a failure at Virginia Tech, I think we could say, but was uh, hired to a big-time job out of Memphis. Uh, Norvell was hired to an even bigger-time job at Florida State. Um, and Ryan Silverfield had a pretty decent first year, and I think is probably going to trend the same direction as the other guys, where yeah. he'll get hired somewhere soon enough. Um, they're hiring off- young offensive coordinators who are in their 30s, making big-time moves, and they're winning football games. They're having exciting, fun offenses. They put up a ton of points. Um, they're sending guys to the NFL. Um Memphis is a job that makes so much sense you should win at and I don't know why it didn't happen sooner. Yeah. yeah we all agree? Yeah, I, I think that that's I think that that's fair. Tommy West certainly didn't do well. Um I, I, I just I um I have these these stats here that I compiled so I might as well mention them. Um before he arrived, Memphis went to one bowl game ever. Um it had twenty winning seasons before he arrived, but fifteen of those were before nineteen seventy eight. Mm-hmm. Um this was as you mentioned it shouldn't have been. This was a bad program. This was yeah. a really bad program. Could not figure out how to recruit its own area. Um, it, it's uh, I, I don't blame Tommy West a ton for this, just so much as it was a, you know, it, it didn't fix the problems that right. they had. It was yeah. not necessarily that he caused them. It was just that he didn't solve them. Hiring a, quote, experienced Power 5 coach who, who had been 
just fine. His previous job and got fired there too. Mm-hmm. Did not bring the experience they needed to fix the program. They needed yeah. new, fresh, young ideas, and that has worked since. Okay, so next one, I think we're going to talk about SMU here. Yeah. Now, you and I disagree a little bit on SMU as a job. Um, <clears throat> it is certainly, I would say, the school that bucks the trend on this list by the most. Um, failed P5 or NFL head coaches have had arguably the most successful seasons at SMU in their post-death penalty era. Yeah. Um, June Jones only went 36 and 43 in his six and some change seasons down there, um, which is from 2008 to September 2014 when he resigned. Yeah. Very strange. Uh, that also featured the only two division title wins the Mustangs have had in 30 years. That is since the death penalty era. Yeah. Um, June Jones was not a great coach by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. But he did bring SMU back to the point where it was a functional program. It had been adrift and kind of uh, just rudderless after the, the death penalty era. It took them he, he assigned to get it. Back. A, he assigned it an identity that I think makes sense in the state of Texas. Yes, they were running essentially run and shoot, which nobody yeah. does anymore. But it, it was the program needed an identity, and no other coach could really deliver it in the way that he did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then they brought in Chad Morris. Um, I, I described him as shitting the bed. Uh, you disagree with me on our show notes. He went 14 and 22 in three years mm-hmm. and was summarily replaced. Um, do you want to talk about Chad Morris here? Or? Well, you say he was replaced. He did take a better job. I mean, he, he left for, he was not fired. He left for Auburn or yeah, uh, Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, yeah, fair enough. That was stupid then. And I think it's I mean, sure. Well, but it, you look at his, I mean, right. he wasn't the, replaced. the record was not amazing, but two and 10 to five and seven to seven and six after taking over a one and 11 program. That's not bad. I mean, Seven and six at the end result is not <laughs> spectacular. I wouldn't hire him if I was a P five athletic yeah. director, but um, and, and that program was one eleven. But we we looked at the numbers for this. That was a talented enough school that I think he should have done a lot better than what he did. Yeah, it was it was a talented enough school that had taken some pretty serious moral damage by the end of the the June Jones era. That Fair was enough. that was sort of a uh, honestly, I think the comparison of of USF makes some sense there mm-hmm. in that it was it was talented, but like there were a lot of guys who were not pleased about the way that things had gone and either transferred out or were just sort of done with the whole thing. That's fair. Yeah. Now we can now talk about what's working, I think, right now for SMU, mm-hmm. which is former Cal coach Sonny Dykes. Yeah. Um, Dykes is now 22-13 and 13 in his three years as head coach from 2018 through 2020. Um, he also just signed the third-best G5 recruiting class in the country. Yeah. Um, only behind league mates Cincinnati and Memphis. Um, in the last two years, I believe they're 17-6. and six. Yeah. Um, which is, they were really good in 2019. Yeah, <laughs> they were I mean, really good. That's a fun team. He just signed Preston Stone, uh, a top 100 overall player in the country, a local quarterback in Dallas. Yeah, um, he is hitting the hell out of the pavement in Dallas recruiting right now. Uh, it's been really impressive. Um, you know, my our buddy Mark Givler likes to talk about the fact that if you go down to Dallas, you can pretty much uh, go on any neighborhood street corner and find a four star running back down there. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a city that is dripping with football talent. And uh, you really don't need to leave the Dallas-Austin-Houston triangle to get players at SMU. Yeah. Uh, there's no reason why you should, if we're being honest. Yeah. The uh, the only other thing here with, with Sonny, and I, I will say not just if S- with SMU, but with Sonny Dykes specifically, mm-hmm. is a very interesting case study. Um, Sonny Dykes has... It's sort of the, uh, I, I had to look up the exact quote, it's the, the happy learned how to putt thing with Sonny Dykes, where it's like, oh shit, Sonny Dykes know how, knows how to run the football now. Yeah. Because um, they ran the ball really, really well each of the last two years. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's not the focal point of the offense, that was Shane Bouchelle, but mm-hmm. um, I, I think that the sort of building a program around, and I don't know if this is the plan moving forward, but building a program around taking a castaway P5 quarterback who maybe doesn't have an amazing arm but can run that offense, that sort of 
air raid-ish offense. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then recruiting a really good offensive line and a really good running back. Um it's a it's a good approach. <laughs> it seems very sustainable at Texas. Yeah, and too, this right? was this was a seven and three team that lost its best player. I mean, what was his name? Reggie Roberson, the mm-hmm. wide receiver who, who, who I believe tore his ACL. I also love Reggie. Roberson. Yeah, he's yeah. he was fantastic. He was a, he was pretty much the best deep threat in college football. I would say. I mean, he was he could take the top off of any defense, and they lost that guy. Still went seven and three. Great. It's it's a really impressive program right now. They had another receiver down there who got drafted by the Ravens, whose name I can't mm-hmm. recall. Um, oh, gosh. I should know this. incredible. I mean, he had a, a four-year... I <laughs> I was very bullish on him coming out in the pros. He didn't do much. James Prochet? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He, he, one Freak of, show. One of the most fun players in college football in the let, last decade. Let me tell you his his uh, his last two years I know of it's, stats it's actually here. ridiculous. So, 2019... I'll just tell you 2019 then. 111 receptions. <laughs> Led the country. <laughs> 1,225 yards. Oh 15 touchdowns. What a monster. Freak show. At 5'11", 193. And you had him next to you. You had two NFL receivers <laughs> and an NFL quarterback in that offense. Yes. And they're not slowing down, really, because no. they're doing those Xavier Jones, Xavier Jones, the halfback, was really, really good. He's mm-hmm. He's gone, too. But there's just there's a ton of talent in this program, and there should be. There and should be in you Dallas. You really might get Preston Stone as a three- or four-year starter coming in with you shall leaving. Yeah. He might just start his whole career there. Yeah. He has the talent to do it. Um, and like you said, they're recruiting some ass kickers at O-line. Uh, they nearly got Duncan Bird, who ended up, at, I think, at Oklahoma, mm-hmm. um, who was a top 100 player as well. They were very close to kind of pulling that off. Yeah. Um, I'm bullish on SMU going forward. Yes. This is... We'll uh, have to do an SMU episode at some point, because yeah. I'm I'm very intrigued by this This program. is the program bucking the trend, and also one that is pretty similar to UCF and kind of uh, its setup. Yeah. Um, the, I, I think in its hire, too. I would I would not I would not shy away from comparing Gus and, and Sonny Dykes in terms of the brain that they have for football, um, where they weren't necessarily... Sonny Dykes was never an amazing recruiter at Cal. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe when they get into a spot where they can be a little bit more of the... Uh, you know, you drop your business card on the table and it means a little bit more. Because when you're at Auburn, you put your business card on the table, you're the fourth guy there. It's, you know, Alabama, LSU, Georgia are above you. At UCF, you do that? I mean... It, with the guys you're recruiting, you're the top dog in the in that level of football in Florida. I don't know that I agree with that because they're not recruiting guys. They're not recruiting against FAU and they're recruiting against you know FIU. They're yeah. recruiting against uh, Georgia Tech and they're recruiting against uh, you know South Carolina and, and programs like that in that sure. area. Which, uh, yeah, you can still get some good athletes doing that, and you can get some guys that maybe had P five offers and then ended up not signing those programs, mm-hmm. but. We're kind of splitting hairs there. I, um, I do want to tell you briefly, because I think you'll enjoy this, because you have the same brain worms that I do. Um, SMU has a quarterback named Terrence Gibson, who I can only assume is Torrance Gibson wearing a, <laughs> like a fake mustache. <laughs> He's back, baby. He's back. Um, and that's one a, thing I that's do, a deep cut for the, for the real heads. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I want to dispute, though, about the, the Dykes Malzahn similarity here. Mm-hmm. And we can get more into UCF now that we're an hour and five minutes in. <laughs> People are going to love this. This, yes. this, this. this is for the real heads. This already. is the good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Sonny Dykes had always played at Cal with a talent deficit in his conference. He yeah. never had a talent advantage. Um, he was, what, probably the ninth or 10th most talented program in his own conference, something like that. That sounds right. Uh, when SMU, he is on a level playing field with just about every program. In that. I mean, Cincinnati now is recruiting better, uh, but UCF, Houston, Cincinnati, Memphis, and SMU are all in the same ballpark of talent every year right now. Yeah. Um, 
I think that's the difference for him. Whereas Gus is going to go from playing with a talent advantage, which we're going to talk about in a second, yeah. to playing with a talent deficit. And I don't think it's mm. going to go well for him. Or not a talent, sorry, not a talent deficit. He's going from... Did he have a talent advantage in the SEC? Against most teams he played, yes. The only teams and he had beat a de- most teams. I mean, mm-hmm. they had a winning record Let's every get year. Let's get into it. He did not play well against other talented teams. He... he yeah lost a whole bunch of games to top 25 programs. He, consistently, Auburn, if you look at the, the numbers on this, once Kirby Smart showed up in 2016 um, at Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, Auburn has to play Alabama and Georgia every year, which is hard. Those are the two most talented teams in the conference. Yeah, and, and also d- absolutely insists on scheduling like Clemson out of conference, which is nonsense. Which is yeah, it's, it's stupid. <laughs> no one's going to deny that. But most games that he played, Gus was at minimum, on the same level of talent as the programs he played against. Mm-hmm. He generally, during most... I mean, now, LSU had a freak show year in 2019, but most years was the same talent as LSU, as Florida, as Tennessee, yeah. as these other programs he had to compete against, as A&M. Um, now, he's going down to UCF. He's not going to have a talent advantage right now. That has been squandered. There, there was a UCF advantage there for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, they had a Houston-like class. I know we talked about Houston signing that best G5 class in history. Uh, they had an excellent class in 2017, Frost's mm-hmm. first full one, um, that is now all graduated and gone. Man, I, I really hope Frost goes back to the AAC. That dude can coach. It's just he sure can, not man. at Nebraska. <laughs> so uh, real quick before we get back into Malzahn here, I, I want to give my overall takeaways for uh, just for the retreads as a, as a concept before we talk about UCF and Malzahn. Yeah. Um, if you're going to hire a failed P5 head coach who got canned, um, make sure he coached at Cal. Mm-hmm. Or he got fired because of some hilariously stupid off-field scandal that he did, like, yeah. uh, you know, strippers or cocaine. Fix it in post. So, look, let's talk about UCF, Pat. Tim Tebow has retired from baseball. Do you have any interest in that? Oh, my God. No! <laughs> no! My, fa- my fantasy baseball team is fucked. Um, <clears throat> Tim Tebow, in the shadow of a doubt, as a baseball Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. I want him enshrined right next to Kurt Schilling. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's all I have to say about the matter. I want him to be the next head coach at Florida International. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try to get this back on topic so we can go yeah. home a little bit. Jags offensive coordinator. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Jags quarterback. Mm. It's something to think about. Anyway, um, UCF, where Gus Malzahn has been hired, it's supposed to be the topic of this podcast. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's my thing. I'm going to give my spiel. I, I want to hear yours. Um UCF, for most of the last few years under Frost and Heupel, has operated as one of or the most talented team uh, in the AAC. Yeah. Um, They were third in the AAC in 2020, first in 2019, second in 2018, and first in 2017. Uh, That is per the uh, 24-7 sports composite team talent rankings. Mm -hmm. Um, Gus Malzahn uh, has generally been around fourth or fifth in his conference every single year when yeah. he was a coach there. Yeah, fourth, uh, fourth, fourth, fifth, fifth, sixth since yeah. 2015. Right. And, and we'll talk about the recruiting rankings under Gus, too, because they did fall off towards the end of his tenure there along with his offense. Mm-hmm. Um, Gus, like we just talked about, has played with a talent advantage for most of his time as coach at Auburn, I would say. Um, he had Nick Marshall early on at quarterback. 
Um, he had a, an NFL guy in Jared Siddham. Uh, Bo Nix looked really good in high school and has obviously not quite been that guy uh, yeah. at the college level. Uh, you and I can debate how much that is Gus's fault. I would put that pretty heavily on him, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Personally, I'm going to blame Bo Nix for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think Gus uh, has not really developed a single quarterback. Uh, yeah, I, I won't argue with this. I, I don't. I won't argue with you on this. This is part of why I, I think that he shouldn't really build his his program at UCF around a quarterback because I don't think he knows how to coach him. But I guess just where, where I'm at is. I understand what you're saying about a Gus uh, G5 program in a vacuum. And, and for those who haven't read it yet, Pat has a great uh, version of his newsletter uh, talking about UCF, a great edition of that. Mm-hmm. And it's free, so you it's don't free. have to you don't have to pay me for yeah. this one. We'll have that in the show notes on this. Yeah. Um, just Pat mm-hmm. will do that. Maybe. We'll yeah. see. Okay. <laughs> uh, so Gus Malzahn, like I said, is used to playing with the talent advantage here. And, and I just don't think he's going to have that at UCF. He's going to be on par with this competition. He, he's mm-hmm. going to be on par with SMU. He's going to be on par with Houston and, and Cincinnati and Memphis. Yeah. Um, if not, a little bit behind those guys after this season. Um, Josh Heupel is not quite the recruiter uh, that Scott Frost was. He's comparable, but not, yeah. but not quite as good. It's stunning just... that a lot of high school recruits look. Generally, you just look <laughs> at Josh Heupel, and if you don't feel sort of like a revul- like a, a, a revulsion, I don't know what you mean with his animal magnetism that he exudes. Yeah, just pure sexual energy rolling <laughs> off that fella. Uh, yeah, I, I mean UCF is not going to be you know having these NFL guys, the, the Griffin brothers or anything like that, coming to the mm-hmm. program anytime soon. They have Dylan Gabriel next year, uh, mm-hmm. who maybe, maybe if he doesn't transfer out, <laughs> allegedly, who, who I would say is probably going to be one of the top dozen or so quarterbacks in college football next year. Yeah, uh, and if they don't have him, they don't have much. They lose a ton of returning production. Um, you pointed this out here. They're ranked 91st in defensive production returning, and, and this was not a good defense last yes, year. I believe this was a Randy Shannon joint. And they're 59th in returning offensive production. This is per Bill Connolly's uh, yeah. SP+. Plus and that, that includes numbers. a quarterback who um, doesn't fit in the Gus Malzahn system. I, right. I will say that much. Right. And they lose their top two rushers and five of their top seven receivers from last season. Yeah. Um, that's it's, not great. It's not a great thing to inherit. No. Um, more than that, too, just we're talking about early returns for Gus. Um, they have uh, scheduled in their first four games, they have a home game against Boise State. They are at Louisville, mm-hmm. and they're at Cincinnati, all in their first four games of the season. Man. That is not a good way to build momentum. No. You don't have a quarterback or any returning players that really fit Gus's scheme. Um, and I don't know how it's going to help recruiting momentum. You know, yeah. I, I think individual games don't really matter too much, but Gus is not going to be able to recruit many of the players that he was recruiting at Auburn. It's not like he's going, he's doing the Will Muschamp going from, like, you know, uh, Florida to South Carolina. There's not a ton of overlap between guys he recruited and guys that are going to be available to him. Yeah. He's going to have to build new relationships in Florida. Um, he has a very difficult schedule. He has a, a personnel that do not fit his offense whatsoever. Yeah. And he's no longer playing with a talent advantage in most of his games. Yeah. Uh, that all to me just spells disaster for Gus. And, and I just don't see, I, I don't think we've seen anything from him in the last several years that have indicated he has the ability to innovate on his offense to develop new players, um, to bring in new talent at a high level that will do what he needs to do at UCF to get them back to a conference championship level or to get them to a consistent top 25 team the way they were for Scott Frost. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm going to try and parse my words carefully here because I have a lot of, there's a lot of ideas sort of at the front of my mind and I want to make sure that I, I suss them all out um, mm-hmm. appropriately. So first I'll, I'll talk about the... Um, the team talent thing specifically. Yeah. Um, I don't really think that, that Gus is 
used to a situation where he has a, 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 a like the most talented team in the conference. Uh, I don't think that that's really what his program was built around at Auburn. They were obviously very talented, but it's all relative, right, to yes, your conference. And absolutely. I think that I think that being fourth in the SEC and being fourth in the AAC are not especially different when you when you make that you know translation downward. Um, mm-hmm. If you're fourth in the you know in the SEC, you're probably losing three games just as a built-in, especially if you had to play those three teams, which Auburn did. Um, you know, it, it got Alabama and Georgia and LSU every single year. Um, and that's going to be three, three losses pretty frequently. And that, and that he beat Alabama ever was, you know, a pretty big part of why he was there for so long. Um, so I, I don't think that it's going to be necessarily, this is not like a, uh, this is not, you know, Urban Meyer taking over it at UCF, where he is so heavily reliant on being this overwhelmingly talented team. Um, Gus is used to not being the most talented team, and I, I think that he'll be in about the same spot in the AAC if he's just fine with recruiting. Um, <clears throat> on that recruiting front, you mentioned that he has to establish new relationships, which is true. He's recruiting different players, mm-hmm. but Gus has been around for a while. Um, Gus has recruited in Florida for a while. Gus knows a lot of these high school coaches and um, people who are associated with high school football players in Florida um, in, in whatever way that might be. As they say, it's an ongoing investigation. As they say, it's an ongoing <laughs> investigation, and then Gus either knows those guys or knows guys who know those guys or knows of guys who know those guys. Um, these are not new connections for him. He's worked in Florida before. Um, Here's my question for you. I don't mean to cut you off. Anyway. Yeah. Um, do you think you have seen from Gus, like like you mentioned before, when you just drop that Auburn card on the table, you might be the third or fourth best team in the SEC, but you are one of the top ten programs in America right now. And you have yeah. been for at least a decade, if not yeah, much longer. Sure. Um, <clears throat> Gus took over a program that had a lot of talent. He took it to a national title game in its first year, and he maintained it for a few seasons. Yeah, um, you know he had pretty damn good recruiting classes. Uh, uh, I, I think he had yeah in his first five seasons as coach, he had five top ten recruiting classes. Yeah, uh, in his final four seasons as coach, and and, and I'll get into twenty twenty one here in a second. He was going to have one top ten class in those final four years. Yeah, his recruiting declined, um, and, and I don't think we saw Auburn necessarily. They weren't doing the thing that Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State or Georgia even do, where they offer kids regionally who rise with the rankings because they are improving as they go on as players. They weren't identifying talent particularly well, uh, in my opinion. I think they were getting a lot of guys who uh, might have been highly ranked or yeah. Uh, <coughs> they were like, getting they were getting the guys that everybody knew about. Yeah, they're they're not. He's not finding gems. I don't think his, yeah. his evaluation of talent and his development of talent, especially have been particularly impressive lately at Auburn. I mean, he, he's not developing a ton of guys right now. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that, uh, you know, he, he's going to be in a similar playing field to what he had at Auburn uh, later on in the tenure, which is, is true. Um, but Auburn later on in his tenure kind of got worse. You know what I mean? Yeah. Their offense fell off a cliff. Um, we have our offensive SMP, S&P Plus rankings for Gus here. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he had two top five offenses in his two Nick Marshall years in 2013. These, the, those teams were awesome. Those really offenses fun. were really, really creative, really good. Yeah. Um, and then he sort of lost interest in yeah, that. Yeah, he drove the bus off a cliff. The yeah. Gus bus uh, took a tumble, I would say. Yeah, goes out and hires. Uh, he replaces Rhett Lashley. Um, don't remember who he hired to replace Rhett Lashley, but then he goes out and gets... Right, Chad Morris, didn't he? no. No, Chad was at was at Arkansas during this time. I, Rhett was only there until 2016. 
Okay. Yeah. Chad was Chad was more recent. I don't know who fills that time. I'll uh, I'll look. You go ahead and vamp. Yeah. I'll look that up. So what I'm saying here is Gus in in the final uh, what was it six seasons of his career uh, he had a one offense ranked in the top twenty five and that's a B plus. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just not good enough. Chip Lindsay. Chip Lindsay. Wow. <laughs> uh, you know Gus was not doing his part of the job. You know he had Kevin Steele as his DC for quite a long time there, and Kevin Steele is a damn good defensive coordinator. And yeah. more importantly, they had damn good defensive lines. That especially like Derek Brown, I think of that D line talent was really awesome at Auburn for a while, mm-hmm. and that defense kept the team afloat. Um, we have numbers here on their quarterback production, on their passing yardage. Um, it all fell off a cliff later on in Gus's tenure. He got yeah. Um, he started losing games to equivalent programs. Um, this time at Auburn, uh, he was 13 and 27 against top 25 opponents, and that's the final top 25, not at the time. Yeah, uh, he was 10 and 25. You take out those first two years when he inherited the Chiswick teams, uh, and he was 9 and 18 against programs not including Georgia and Alabama. Mm-hmm. So even when you take out the fact of his fairly large talent deficit to those two teams, when he was playing equivalent programs or even lesser talented programs, like he lost, you know, I remember Minnesota famously, a couple other teams like that, UCF at one point, I think. Uh, he was nine and eighteen. He won a third of his twenty-five games against yeah. non-Georgia Bama teams. That's not good enough. Yeah, I mean, you're at Auburn, man. Like you have, like we talked about with the team talent, was top ten each of his first six years in the program, and was just outside of that in his final three years. Mm-hmm. Got to do better. Yeah, I I think I think it's all fair. I, I said as much in the piece. You know, there are there are a lot of things here that can go wrong. I, I think that if he is same old Gus as he has been in recent years, he's, it's not going to work. His offense, like I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It sucked. It was not good in these last couple of years. It was it was you know stapled heavily by superior talent, like you said. And and he uh, the the way that I that I positioned it in the story is essentially. Um, he wanted to change well he hired and recruited to change his identity without actually changing his ideology he mm-hmm. he did not exactly. ever become not the option guy he wanted to run the spread option he just uh, essentially he got bullied off of it you know he he was i, I would assume he just from from the looks of it heard too frequently you got to run a real offense you know yeah. you've got to run an sec offense and, and how many times have we seen that with coaches who love the cute run right it was him yeah. it was late era urban meyer where like they just don't have their heart in it anymore. yeah yeah i mean urban meyer after he hired ryan day was just like this is not my offense anymore right. he, he just checks in on third downs he's like all right make uh make Dwayne haskins run up the middle um it's <laughs> <laughs> for my amusement um but i i the the reason that i mentioned that is that and this is it's funny because it, it sort of ties into uh, a storyline with this hire about uh, a, a, a UCF reporter asking if he's ready for the, the pressure cooker at, at UCF, which <laughs> I don't think is as ridiculous as some people do. Those those fans are crazy, right? Like mm-hmm. respect to UCF fans who are certified freaks. Um, <laughs> but the pit fans of Florida. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that there is in a in a in a way that applies but in another way, um, Gus Malzahn doesn't have to hire former fucking Auburn football players anymore, which is a requirement when you're the head coach at Auburn. They make sure. you hire shitty former players. And it's like, no, you have to bring in this guy to be your you know, defensive line coach or whatever because I remember watching him play, and I'm a goldfish. Um, and I do want to point out he doesn't have to do that. But he his, did do it, but his, yes. <laughs> he did his very do first hire you see yes. is a former Auburn player. But I, I, I think that um, – and we're, we're talking about uh, – Travis Williams, who's the new defensive coordinator, I do think that Williams is the exception and not necessarily the uh, the norm because mm-hmm. he's he's a good coach. He's he's a really good recruiter, specifically in Georgia. Um, and 
if you're going to hire somebody from that tree, I would much rather you do it on the steel side than the mouse on side right now. Um, at least, at least in recent years, he, he did not have a ton of success hiring, um, offensive assistants that had those strong Auburn ties and he doesn't Mm -hmm. have to do that anymore. I will be very concerned if he still does, if he goes out there and the new offensive coordinator is Cadillac Williams, I'm going to have some worries (laughs) about, about that. You know, they've, they've got Sean white coaching the quarterbacks. I've, I've, I would have an issue then, but (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) With his luxurious flow, him and Dave Yoder are competing for best hair. Um, but uh, I, we don't know that yet. We don't know that he's going to do that. And and so essentially, my I don't know if my my bet here. I'm not spending money on on Gus Malzahn. I'm not Auburn. Lock it in. Yeah. Let's get this spread. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my 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 guess here essentially is that that wasn't really what Gus wanted to do, and that the kind of offensive creativity that we saw from him early on in Auburn was not necessarily something that he lost interest in, but more something that was beaten out of him by being in a conference that fucking hates it when you do that. Yeah. Auburn fans, the SEC, unless you're at Ole Miss, you know, they don't want you to do that shit. They do not want you to have fun. Football is not supposed to be fun. They do want you to copy Nick Saban, though. They do. And Nick Saban's offense has become a lot more fun. But they were never spread option. I mean, no, they right. they were under under Jalen Hurts, and he's like, "This shit sucks. I'm right. not good at this. I'm going to do something else." <laughs> yeah. And so, Gus was essentially for those last, you know, however many years, six years, I guess, after 2014, when he lost to Dink Marshall, he was hearing from every single angle, "You got to go out and get a pocket passer. You got to go out and get this kid Sean White. You got to go out and get you know Jarrett Stidham. You have to go." Bo Nix doesn't really apply here, but Bo Nix just stinks. Um. <laughs> I mean, oh, hang on. I, he, can't throw the, he can't throw the ball 20 yards. Bonix for Auburn has not been good. Yeah. Every single major college coach. Lincoln Riley wanted Bo Nix. Yeah. Ryan Day wanted Bo Nix. Nick Saban wanted Bo Nix. Ohio State signed Tate Martell. These, these programs are not, not under These Ryan programs Day. are not perfect, not, though. Not under Ryan Day. Come it was, on. It's not the Ryan Day era. I don't know about all this. These uh, programs are not 100%. They're, not, they're certainly not perfect, but I, I think the idea that Bo Nix just like never to the football is Bo not Nicks, really fair. Bo Nix would be better in an offense that actually had an ideology, certainly. Yes. Um, I still don't think that he's necessarily a superstar that Gus Malzahn wasted. Um, but my, my, my point to, to really belabor it um, is, is to say that I think that if we have fun, creative Gus and he realizes he's in, an, and he's in a conference that doesn't just encourage that but requires it for you to win games you have to do weird shit in the american you have to have an ideology that is distinct that you stick to whether it's you know whatever it is if it's sunny dykes with the sort of knockoff air raid that's starting to run the football if it's cincinnati running jim trestle's offense from 2004 (laughs) you know if it's uh memphis just building a crazy ass running game and then adding on to it a vertical threat down the field every single play their offense their offense is so cool it's so sad that justin fuente stinks and that mike norfell doesn't seem to be doing much better (laughs) because they were so much fun but um you whatever it is you have to really do it you you have to lean 100% into it and the thing that i'm encouraged about here and this is obviously like i said it's going to depend on, a lot on his hires it's going to depend on if he can recruit to it um is that gus has an ideology more so than a lot of coaches in college football um gus is committed to a specific brand of football at least he was and when it's not being beaten out of him he's really good at it he's really good at the spread option better than 
most coaches in college football. And we know that that system can still work. I mean, it just worked at Coastal Carolina. It's been working for, you know, at least to an extent for Tulane, which is a program that doesn't recruit especially well. And Willie right. Fritz is still winning seven games there every year. Um, you can still do this. You can still win with, I mean, last year Florida State beat North Carolina and didn't throw the ball while doing it. I mean, they, they threw like five times in that game and still won because they ran the option. <laughs> and so that's sort of my answer to all of this is that if Gus goes back to that ideology, I think it fits this conference perfectly. I think that it fits a lot of the questions that we have about this team. It'll take a couple years to get there, but if you're running the spread option in the way that Gus did, you don't need to be the most talented team in the AAC. You, I mean, that it's a it's a an offense that by design wins by creating numbers advantages. It does it without talent. It does it with physics. You know, it, it does it with pre-stat motion and, and window dressing, and so. I, I think that that's where it boils down to to me is that we've seen from Gus before the kind of creativity that you need to, to I mean to win in the conference that actively hates creativity and if he does that in the conference that embraces it I think it'll only it'll only do well for him. Here's my feeling: mm-hmm. Why would you want him to run an offense that, in my opinion, I guess is going to erase your talent advantage? Like, yes, you, you're right; it's something that does not require a talent advantage, but he will have one relatively to the rest of the conference. So, be sure. at least on the top tier of talent in that conference, he's going to have a great passing quarterback. He's going to have an offense that has a legacy of recruiting big time receivers and at times big time running backs. Yeah, guys who want to come play that offense because of the talent that it has to offer and the numbers it's put up in the past. I think he's going to erase that. He's going to instead play in the muck. It's the same thing he did in Auburn, too. He's going to say, I have better players than almost every team I'm going to play, but I'm still going to dirty it up and play Q run game and think it's 2013 and try to do the same shit that I did before. Yeah. And, and I just, I, I know he's saying he's he's the new Gus. He's the innovative Gus. He's, he's totally recharged himself. Yeah. It just feels hollow to me. I, I, just yeah, I, that, I don't know if he did that in a month. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's no reason to believe that, in my opinion. I think he's going to try to force his system on a team that does not have the correct personnel for it. Um, that really shouldn't be running it in the first place because he does have a talent advantage to some extent. Um, again, not as severe as he had at Auburn, but he does have a talent advantage over most of the conference he's going to play against. Um, and I don't think he has the chops lately I don't to go out and recruit the way he needs to. I don't think he's going to be hungry in the trail. I, I know I yeah. talked about his fall off in recruiting. Something else I want to mention is the way the 2021 class was looking before he was fired. <laughs> not good. Not good. Not good. Um, people say, look, you know, yeah, Auburn was ranked 27th, but you really can't lay it at Gus's feet. He was fired before they signed. And there's something to that. But at the time he was fired, Auburn only had five blue chip recruits committed. Mm-hmm. That would have been tied for 23rd best in the country in that metric. He was not going to have a top 15 class, a top yeah. 20 class maybe. Um, Auburn only lost two decommitments after his firing, and just one of them was a blue chip prospect, a, a guard from Texas outside the top 250 nationally, yeah. Jaden Roberts. Um, he was going to have one top 10 recruiting class in the last four years at a place where you have a, let's call it a booster commitment to getting good recruits. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, Whatever, exactly. what, what could you mean by that? Yeah, you have a lot of institutional support to make sure you land top talent, and he still was not really doing it at a level he needs to. Yeah. And now you're not going to have that at UCF. You are going to have a legacy name attached to you, but you're going to be competing in the muck against other programs at the same level as you, where they have more to offer than you. You have to convince kids they should play at UCF and not go to play for Pitt or something like that. Yeah. Um, that's not easy to do, and I just don't... I don't see from him the innovation in recruiting the uh, hard work in recruiting or the innovation on the field he needs to win at this program. I hate to be this negative. I like UCF football. I think when UCF football is good, 
It's really fun for college football. It makes the American uh, a power six conference, truly. Yeah. Um, and I wish he were going to be good, but I truly do not believe he will be. Um, that's my honest opinion. Uh, yeah. I uh, I am the number one Gus Malzahn hater now. Uh, I just want to put it down. I'm sorry, UCF. Man, what is sorry, it with Gus. you and former Auburn coaches? God, man. You just you can't stand them. Bowden. Bowden. Tuberville. Yeah. Malzahn. Gene Chizik. We love Gene Chizik. Uh, no, we don't. We love and respect Gene Chizik, <laughs> who got his money and then just left. Salute. Honestly, yeah. Salute to him yeah, for just riding Cam Newton. That man has a championship ring. That's true. That's, That's funny. That's more than I have. Yeah. I don't have any championship rings, and I care about those Damn. more than he does. <laughs> yeah, I am a fantasy champion. That's about all I've got going okay, for me. Okay, all right. I'm a champion of life. Yeah, yeah, and you're laying out your rings on the table right now. People can't see this. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it, it depends largely on how you, and we'll, we'll get out of here soon. <laughs> I, yeah, pro- I promise. Right I promise. I think it depends largely on how you view the spread option. I think that if you see it as a a loose spin off of what Ken Niamatololo is doing, then yeah, you're going to limit yourself. That's not a system that's going to win you know, a championship. It just, it just won't. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that if you're viewing the spread option in the way that it exists now, and this is a point that I make in the piece, and this is something that Gus is going to have to do. And this is another thing where the way that this works (laughs) essentially is if Gus goes back to what he does, goes back to what he knows in that spread option, but hires someone from the most, you know, the the more recent successful spread options. They're different. They're doing more things. They right. are they are building on what he was doing, on what Urban Meyer was doing, on what Chip Kelly was doing, and they're adding RPO into it. They're adding a vertical attack. Mm-hmm. Um, I go back to the Coastal Carolina example a lot because I really like that offense. Damn good passing game. Yeah. Damn good passing game. Opened up by the running game. Yeah. Yes, opened up by the running game, setting up the play action with the run, which you don't have to do. You can just pass off a play action. That's the mm-hmm. big secret. But <laughs> they, they made it even more dangerous by running as well as they did. Um, that was not a very talented team, just straight up. I mean, their linemen were 250 pounds. They they were built like a 1940s you know Army team. And they still won a lot of games because they were, they were creative. I mean, that was a really, really good team that was not limited by the fact that it was running the option. I mean, they were the best team in the Sun Belt, I, I think. And so I think if you can modernize a little bit, and obviously the easier answer here for UCF would be, why not just hire Jamie Chadwell, right? Who Hire Jamie Chadwell. Yeah, hey guys, hire Jamie fucking Chadwell next time. Jesus Christ. We love Coastal Carolina. We yes. love it. Hire, uh, man... We'll do our UCF coaching search podcast next off season. Yeah. Whenever Gus looks like he's going to be fired, next off season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, Jamie Chadwell. As much as I hate to say it, Kendall Bryles probably would have been pretty good here. Jeff Lebby, who eh, I don't know, um, Tony Elliott. There were some. There are some dudes who probably would have Freeman. Marcus Freeman. Ooh, that would have been fun. Marcus Freeman in the the Florida market would have been pretty good. Man. Oh man, <sighs> dude, he he's got. He's going to rip it up somewhere. Very soon. Ooh, man. Um, Gets you going, doesn't it? How about yeah. Kane Womack? Kane Womack. Man, the Sun Belt's fucking awesome. All right, so I think we got to get out of here. <laughs> Look, here's our summary. I think Gus Malzahn's going to suck. Pat thinks he could be good. Yeah, depending on who he hires and depending on if he's willing to change at least a little bit while keeping his core ideology. For those of you that are hanging around with us, we appreciate it. Yeah, uh, now that we're seven hours in. Yeah, we're seven hours in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> been... I'm getting a phone call right now from Raytheon. I'm yeah. very unhappy about how much recording time we're taking. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the Dan Carlin show where he does the, the history things for seven hours? Oh, um... You guys know what I'm talking about. This yeah. is our version of that. 
What is that called? I don't know, man. <laughs> Something... That show sucks. Let's do it one time. <laughs> Hardcore history. Is what it's Hardcore called. history. It took three hours. And Mike about... Mike Duncan's Revolutions. Much better. Yes. Just the better show. Man, when you actually like know what Dan Cron's talking about, too. Sorry to be a, an absolute pedantic loser mm-hmm. on here. I know we're trying. It's to get my out of here. job, yeah. you motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> you son of a bitch. When you actually like, you know, I, I, it's not a big deal. But I was a history minor in college, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't go to college. That's cool. That's much better. It's much smarter to do. Yeah. Um, whenever you uh, actually like know what Dan Cron's talking about and think hear what he's talking about, it's so much worse. I just assume yeah. the rest of it's just that stupid too. Yeah, probably. I hate those pop history guys. <laughs> not a big uh, Howard Zinn guy. Yeah. Is that his name? No, no, no. Zinn, Howard Zinn is not pop history. That's, that's Howard Zinn's a real writer. Uh, I'm talking about like uh, Bill O'Reilly's like Killing Lincoln. Or something okay, like that. gotcha. Yeah, this is Killing Gus Malzahn's the name of the episode. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking that. <laughs> We're gonna get blacklisted. Oh, no. All right, guys. I think we should get out of here. Yeah. Uh, Patrick, going to take us out? Yeah. Let me find our, our outro on the first page of this 11-page document. Oh, no. Um, thank you all so much for checking out the Flipping the Field podcast and for sticking around with us. This is now our, as I mentioned, our seven. Um, if you... Oh, we'll fix it's, it in post. Yeah. We'll fix it in post. Um this is like I like we I think said in the intro maybe this is a college football podcast about all of college football including um, <laughs> um, Donna Shalala Raytheon. Um, yeah, this is truly the college football podcast for the working man. Um, <laughs> if you enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends that there's a new college football podcast on the uh, the college football streets and it's only I mean. It's about college football, but it's about other things such as, you know, love, growing as people. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a podcast for dumb guys who really like college football. And, and if you and if you know any of those, um, please be sure to let them know to check out Flipping the Field. Have you ever woken up at 6 a.m. to drink 31 Miller Lights in the course of a day <laughs> and watch your college football team lose by 40 points to Iowa? I have. Yeah. Patrick probably has one. Point I haven't. Life. I haven't done that. He should. Yeah. I. I actually. I've never rooted for a college football team. Famously. Sickening. Yeah. <laughs> I, on the other hand, had to root for the Paul Christ Pitt program growing up. <laughs> uh, look. Anyway, we're getting out of here. Oh. Uh, I'm Ryan Donnelly. Uh, Ryan, I'm on the internet. Yeah. Where can people places. find you? It, it, again, I, I give a warning to my Twitter. I'm very rude on there. But yeah. My handle is at b1g underscore ryan. Um, I will make funny favorite college football coach. That's mm-hmm. okay. Uh, I'm pretty funny sometimes. Yeah. Um, and you can find my friend Patrick where? Um, I'm at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. I'll do the opposite of uh, make fun of your favorite college football coach. I'll kiss him right on the lips. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to figure out. I will figure out some way that he wins games. I, I will I will paint the picture for you that even, yes, you, the program that went 1-11 for the last seven years straight, they're going undefeated this year. I'll That's do right. it. Um you can also you can find my work at the Outside Zone newsletter on Substack, um, as we, we referenced a couple times in this this show. Um, it's available three times a week for just five dollars a month. If you subscribe, you get the Monday and Friday posts. Um, this week, you also get the best content on Hogbeat.com. That's right. Yes. So it's really sort of a competition between me and Hogbeat. I, I, which one? <laughs> which one do you want? Um, Ryan, do we have anything else here? Man, I think we've done plenty. All right, man. I'll talk to you next week. Bye, guys.